0: All right, well, good morning. My name is Matthew, and I serve as the teaching pastor here at Life Point Westerville. And I hope you're having a great Labor Day weekend so far. Um, So, my family and I, we have been here now in the great state of Ohio uh, for about a a month and a half. And a lot of you have asked, Hey, how's the transition going? Are are you getting settled in? Uh, Do you like Ohio? Do you like Life Point? Is it what you're expecting? um, and honestly, we can say it has more than exceeded our hopes and our, and our expectations. This, uh, this church and this role has, has really been just a, an amazing answer to prayer uh, that we've been praying for, for several months uh, leading up to this. So uh, just know that we are so grateful for the way that you guys have welcomed us over the past uh, few weeks. Obviously, leaving friends and family and our home church was a big step of, of faith for us. Uh, but God has just continually confirmed over the last few weeks that we really made the right decision by following his, his leading here. So, so thank you. Man, you guys have just made us feel so welcome, so loved, and we are excited uh, about the future and what God is doing here at LifePoint and what God is doing here at, at Westerville. So uh, today, we are continuing our teaching series through the book of Revelation a uh, series that we're going to be in for, for a number of weeks. And last week we left the letter portion of, of Revelation where Jesus was speaking to the seven different churches. And we entered into what is referred to as the apocalyptic portion. And I know for, for many people when they hear the word apocalypse, they think uh, destruction and doom and the end of the world. Uh, but apocalypse, it literally means unveiling or disclosure, And here in these these chapters, what John is doing for us is he's pulling back the curtain for us, and we're getting to see beyond what is visible and what is is physical and tangible into this unseen realm. It's a behind-the-scenes look at what is truly ultimate reality. In chapter 4, it it begins a a second vision for John, which is going to carry all the way through chapter 16. And here in this vision, John is essentially getting to fast forward to the end of the movie. He's getting to see the the final scenes, how it's all going to play out. And he's brought into the the throne room of God, where he sees God ruling and reigning from his throne. And all around his throne are these these creatures, creatures that that look like something out of a, a Lord of the Rings movie, And there's these 24 elders and these creatures and the elders, they sing the praise of God the Father all the time. They never cease to sing. And what you see from from, from chapter four that we looked at last week is that God alone is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. And today we're gonna look at Revelation chapter five. And this is really a continuation of this vision of the throne room of heaven that we looked at last week. And where chapter 4 was really focused on the holiness of God the Father, chapter 5, the focus here is on the worthiness of Jesus the Son. And if you're taking notes today, here's kind of the big idea that we're getting at. Jesus is worthy because of who he is and because of what he's done. Our Savior, our King Jesus, he is worthy, not just because of who he is, but because of what he has done for us. And we're gonna take a look at that today. So in Revelation chapter five, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up there. You can find it on the UVersion app or there's a QR code on the seat back in front of you. If you scan that, there's a section called Notes where you can follow along with today's message. But in Revelation chapter five, starting in verse one, it says this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, and writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So John, he's, he's getting this, this vision of heaven, and what he sees is God the Father seated on his throne, and in his right hand is a scroll that's sealed with these seven seals. And the scroll, it contains the announcement of the culmination of, of history. It's how things are gonna end for the world. It's how things are gonna end for all people, and it's God's decree of both his judgment and his salvation for the world, and how he's going to, to establish his kingdom here on earth. And I think it's important for us to understand, even early on here, that these plans that are contained in the scroll that God the Father is, is holding, these plans, they were established. They were determined far before the foundations of the world. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned back in the garden and death and brokenness entered into the world, God didn't panic at that moment. They didn't catch God off guard, and he wasn't trying to figure out a game plan. He didn't call an audible when things went off the rails. No, God's plans of salvation, his plans of judgment, they existed far before we ever did, far before the garden, far before Adam and Eve messed it up. His plans have been established. Now, I'm I'm not a a big board game or card guy. I'm not a a big board game guy, but if I'm gonna play a game, if if people are gonna have me over and they're gonna convince me to play a game, I don't wanna play a game of chance. A game like Sorry or or Yahtzee or Uno. Uh, Because for me, It's too random. It's too unpredictable. Uh, The the most skilled player does not win. It's the luckiest player who who wins. If I'm going to play a game, I want to play a game of strategy, a game that requires some, some skill and some thinking, games like Catan. Any Catan fans in here? You're nerds like me. I like to play Monopoly. There's some luck in it, but there's also some skill. There's a game, and maybe you've never heard of it, called Secret Hitler. Has anybody heard of Secret Hitler? All right. If you've never heard of it, write it down, get the game, it will change your life. But I want to play a game where I have some, some influence. I have some control over the outcome and the results. I want to be able to, to, to have some skill involved. But I think for, for many people, they view the world almost like a, a game of chance. Hey, just draw Draw a card. Roll roll the dice. When they look around at all the things that are happening in our world, to them it's just random and chaotic. There's no purpose to it. There's nobody guiding it. There's nobody in control of it. And I think this view of the world, it tends to produce either a sense of, of great anxiety or Apathy. For some, it's a sense of anxiety, because when they look at at the world and the mess and the brokenness, and they feel like, man, there's nobody in control of this, there's no purpose behind this, it produces stress and worry, because they're not sure how things are going to turn out. For others, it produces apathy, because in their mind, they're like, man, if, if the world and life, if it's just random and chaotic, if there's no purpose to it, then what I do in this life, it really doesn't matter. But what we see in this vision of heaven, and God the Father holding this scroll with the plans of of the future, is that the future of this world, it is not random or unpredictable. It's not being determined by, by fate or by chance. God's not up in heaven playing Yahtzee, hoping to roll a full house. No, God's plans are, are, are determined. They are precise and they're complete and they are secured in the right hand of God. He is holding them. And history is simply the unfolding of God's predetermined plan. Like there's nothing happening in our world, nothing over the last three years, any of these events that, that stresses out that is taking God by surprise. It's not catching him off guard it is determined, it is established. This scroll, it represents God's plans of judgment and salvation. And the seven seals, the number seven represents the completeness of God's plan, meaning that it's, it's final, it's determined, it, it can't be changed, it can't be undone. And when that scroll is eventually unsealed, it will trigger the unfolding of the end of history. And as the seal is opened, each seal one after another, more and more is revealed concerning God's plan of salvation and judgment for the world. So God the Father, he's holding this scroll with these seven seals. But then look at what, what John sees next in verse 2. And then I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy to break the seals in the open scroll?" So God's plans are established and, and secure, but in order for the plans to unfold, in order for them to be put into motion, the scroll that he's holding, it must be open. And this angel asks this question, who is worthy to open it? Who's worthy to, to open the scroll? And kind of the, the logical question when you're reading this to, to ask is, well, you know, why can't God just do it? I mean, if he's God, can't he do whatever he wants? Why can't God sitting there ruling and reigning on his throne, why can't he not just open the the scroll on his own? You see, we have to remember the character of our God. And the primary characteristic of our God that we saw last week is his holiness. When these creatures and these elders surround the throne, the thing that they are declaring about their God is that he is holy, holy. Holy. And God's holiness means that he is set apart, that he's distinct. And what is he set apart from? Everything. God is in a league. He's in a class all by himself. He is transcendent, meaning that he is above and beyond everything. Not in distance, but in in being. God exists differently than you and I do. He wasn't created by somebody. He didn't have a starting point. He has always existed and always will. He's transcendent, but he's also morally pure, meaning that God is completely and totally righteous. There is no blemish. There is no imperfection in his nature and in his character. And because God is holy, because he's transcendent and he's morally pure, he cannot be indifferent towards sin. He can't look at the the sin of the world and just ignore it and just dismiss it and pardon it and just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen because if God did that, he would be unjust and therefore he would be unholy. You see, if God the Father were to open the scroll on his own, he would pour out his wrath and his judgment on the world and no one, no one would be spared because all of us have fallen short of God's standard. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. In order for you and I to be spared when, when this scroll is open, there must be a mediator, There needs to be somebody who will stand in the gap between a holy God and a sinful people, somebody who will stand in the gap and take on and absorb God's wrath and God's judgment on our behalf. And that's the dilemma that we're facing here in in this chapter. Who's worthy to do this? Who can open the scroll? Who can stand in the gap between God and, and, and his people? And listen to what it says in verse three. But no one, no one in heaven or on earth, or under the earth, could open the scroll, or even look inside it. And then John says this, I wept and wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside it. There was no one worthy. In all of human history, there was nobody who could open the scroll. And John says that he began to to weep in this moment. And I think it's for for a couple of different reasons. For for one, I I think he's weeping out of a a sense of just shame. Shame for for the failure of mankind to to be so much less than what God had intended. We had fallen so short of God's original design and and God's original purpose for us. But secondly, I I think John is weeping because there's no hope. Because if no one is worthy to open the scroll... If no one can, can stand in the gap on our behalf, then there will be no end to, to the suffering, no end to, to evil and to, to sin and to death. And there would be no victory, ultimate victory for God's people if the scroll is not opened. John's weeping and, and, and shame and, and out of this fear. But listen to what verse 5 says. It says, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll in its seven seals. The elder sister John, no, no, no. There is hope. Someone is, is worthy to, to open the, the scroll. It's the lion of Judah, the, the root of David. And these were Old Testament references to the promised Messiah. That the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah would come from the line of King David. And Jesus, he is that promised Messiah. He is the one who has triumphed. He has, has overcome. And John, he's filled with, with hope in this moment. And he turns back to, to look at the throne. And what he's expecting is to see this, this conquering, roaring, reigning lion. But listen to what he sees when he looks back at the throne. Verse 6. Then I saw a lamb, as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne and circled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What what does John see? Not a, a roaring lion, but a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Listen, this, this isn't <clears throat> little baby Jesus on your family Christmas card that you're sending out. This isn't little little baby Jesus in your, your manger scene in your front yard at, at Christmas time. This is bloody conquering Jesus. It's raw, it's graphic, it's intense. I mean, it's something you'd see in like an, an HBO show. That's what, what John is seeing. And it's exactly what the, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied hundreds of years ago. Listen to what Isaiah 53 verse 7 says, talking about Jesus, the coming Messiah. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as the sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. John sees this, this lamb looking as if it had been slain. But notice that the, the lamb, it's, it's not lying down in, in defeat. He hasn't been conquered. He's standing in victory at the throne. And he has been lifted up, and he has been exalted over all creation. All power and authority and dominion have been given to him. And then verse 7 says this, talking about the lamb, talking about Jesus. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So Jesus, this, this lamb, he, he approaches the throne. He approaches God the Father, and he takes the scroll with authority and with boldness. And these living creatures, these, these 24 elders, they begin to, to sing a new song. They begin to to sing the praises of Jesus, that he alone, Jesus alone, the lamb alone is worthy to open the scroll. But notice, it's it's not just because of who he is. It's not just because he's from the tribe of Judah. It's not just because he's from the, the line of David. He is worthy because of what he has done. He's worthy because he has been slain for our sin, for our shame, in our place, You see, Jesus, he he didn't come into the world 2,000 years ago to deliver God's justice and judgment. He came to take on and to absorb God's justice and judgment on our behalf. He came as the perfect sacrificial lamb. And through his blood, it says that he has purchased, he has secured for God a, a people who are now a kingdom of priests who will rule and who will reign with God on earth. And it's because of his sacrificial death, the fact that he was slain for our sin in our place, that he alone is worthy to open the scroll. He alone is worthy to stand in the gap between this holy God and the sinful people and to take on the judgment that you and I deserve. And then John finishes in in verse 11 Through uh, through fourteen, he says. Then I looked, and I heard a voice of of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, "Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise." Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all of them saying to him who sits on the throne. And to the lamb to be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. So notice there's, there's the, this, the worship begins to, to expand around the throne. And there's almost like these three explosions of, of worship happening. First it's the, the creatures and the, the 24 elders. And it says that the, the angels joined in. And it said 10,000 times 10,000, this magnificent number of angels are joining in and praising. And then every creature in heaven and on earth, all of creation joins together to sing the praises of Jesus. Because he is worthy. Because of who he is. And because of what he's done. So John, he sees God the Father ruling and reigning. And he sees Jesus the Son, the, the lamb that was slain at the center of the throne and all of creation is singing and declaring the praises of God the Father and Jesus the Son. So just like, like last week, what, what I wanna do for, for the next few minutes is to just give you three takeaways from, from this vision of heaven. And, and, and really the, the question, anytime you, you, you read this is obviously first, okay, what, what does this mean? What was was John trying to communicate to to his audience? But then I think it's important to, to take it a step further and to ask, okay, how does this change our lives today? How are you and I, how are we supposed to live differently? What are we supposed to believe differently? How are we supposed to be different because of this vision of heaven, this vision of the future that has been secured and passed down for us? So three takeaways from from this vision of heaven. The first one is this, is that Jesus is a different kind of king. He's a different kind of king. You know, in this chapter, we we see that, yes, Jesus is the the, the lion, but he is also the lamb. He is the lion of Judah. He's a conqueror. He's a a warrior. He's the ruler. He's the king. He holds all power and all authority and all dominion. But at the same time, he is the lamb that was slain. He's gentle and lowly. He's humble and meek. He's he's a servant. He was the sacrifice. And he's a different kind of king. And when you look at our, our world today, when you look at human history, all other kings... They accomplish what they do through, through force and through violence. But Jesus did it through, through sacrifice. All other kings, they, they establish their, their authority through coercion or through manipulation. But Jesus did it through serving others. All other kings, they, they establish and accomplish their work by taking lives. But Jesus established, and completed the work of the Father by giving his life. See, he's different than any king, any ruler that we have ever seen. And here's, here's what we need to understand. If we are going to follow this king, if we are going to follow Jesus, then we have to follow the ways of this king. We can't just have the king and ignore how he's lived. We have to follow his ways. In fact, listen to what Jesus said to his disciples around this very idea in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus, he called them together. He called the disciples and said, man, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. You know how kings and rulers are and they're high officials. They exercise authority over them. You know how people lead and rule in our world. But he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, they must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man, talking about himself, he did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, just like Jesus, we are called as his followers to serve and to put ourselves last to humble ourselves and to be a servant of others in our in our marriage and our families and our friendships and our community and our places of work and our in our church simply put man following jesus is a race to the back of the line where everything else in life Climbing up the the corporate ladder, achieving success is all about a race to the front of the line, being first, being exalted, being lifted up, doing whatever it takes to win. Following Jesus is a race to the back of the line where we humble ourselves, we submit ourselves and are a servant to others. This is the way of our king. And if we're going to follow this king, if we're going to follow Jesus, then this has to be the way that we adopt for our lives. Jesus, he's both the lion and the lamb. He is a different kind of king than we have ever seen in history. Second takeaway is this, is that Jesus is worthy of our song. Now, when you you read scripture, what you see is a lot of singing There's a lot of singing in in, in scripture. When when Moses and the Israelites, when they passed through the Red Sea and God brought the the waters together and defeated Pharaoh and the Egyptians and and his army, when they got to the other side, what did they do? They sang. When the the angel appeared to to Mary and told her, you're going to give birth to to a son, you're going to give birth to to the Messiah, to the Savior, to to Jesus, she sang. She sang. When Paul and Silas, when they were in prison for for their faith in Jesus, and they were in this prison cell, chained to to the wall, thinking, man, this may be where we die. What did they do? They sang. And in this vision of heaven, with Jesus ruling and and reigning at the center of the throne, there is singing. You know, singing is is a powerful act that engages all of us. It engages our, our mind as we think through, through lyrics. It engages our heart and our emotions. It, it engages our, 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 our body. It's just this, this powerful thing that we do. And there are songs, and I'm sure you, you've experienced this, that, that just get stuck in your head and that you can't get out of your, your head. For me right now, that's the, uh, the Frozen soundtrack. I, I can't tell you how many times I have seen those movies and listened to the soundtracks in the car. Those songs are on constant replay and repeat in, in my mind. There are songs that, that we remember the lyrics to forever. Like your favorite song in, in middle school. You can go 20 years without hearing it and it pops on the radio and you know all the, the, the words to, to that song. It's just ingrained in, in, in your mind. There are songs that define key moments of our life. Like the first concert you go to, it, you, you remember it. You remember the songs you sing, your, your, your senior year homecoming. You remember the songs you danced to. For me, it was Katy Perry's Teenage Dream. That was the, uh, the theme song for senior year of homecoming. You have, have songs at your wedding that you dance to, that you walk down the aisle to. Like there is a soundtrack to our life made up of these different songs. And the reason is, is because we have been created, we have been designed to sing, and we do this a lot, don't we? we? We sing at sporting events, we sing the national anthem, we sing the, the fight song, we, we sing in the car when we're driving, we sing in the, the shower, we, we sing at, at concerts. I mean, I know some of you, you took out a second mortgage to go and see Taylor Swift just so that you could go and that you could sing. But here's what I wonder, man, do you, do you sing to Jesus and I don't I don't mean that in like a cheesy churchy way, but like, do you do you sing to Jesus? Or do you show up on, on Sunday and just kind of sit back as a, as a spectator? And I know for some of you, especially guys, man, it's man, singing, it's weird to sing, it's uncomfortable. Some of you're like, I don't like the songs, or it's too loud, it's not you know what I would would choose. But listen, as believers, as followers of Jesus, of, of the King, we should be declaring and singing who Jesus is. Because when we sing, it changes us. Singing is a powerful force that God has, has given to us. And look, I'm not asking you to, to get weird and be super charismatic. I'm not asking you to be running around the room, although you're more than, than welcome to do that. I'm not even asking you to, to raise your hand and to, and, and to cry, But we should be declaring through song who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, because it's biblical. It's what we see throughout Scripture. And what you see in this vision of heaven is that all of creation has joined together to sing the praises of the king. There's this inability to resist the urge to to join in. Worship is it's the theme of heaven, and one of the primary ways that we will worship Jesus is through singing songs. We have been created to sing and to praise Jesus, and this is what we will be doing for all of eternity. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you better get used to doing it now because you're gonna be doing it for, for a long time. We have been created to sing, and Jesus is worthy of our song more than any pop star celebrity anybody in the world Jesus is worthy of our song and finally number 3 every knee will bow to Jesus. You now when when Jesus came 2000 years ago he came as a as a man as a carpenter as a as a servant as a as a sacrifice and he came to take on God's justice and God's judgment on the cross as as the lamb. But listen, when Jesus returns, he's coming back as the king. And this time, he's coming back to deliver the justice and judgment of God the Father. And he's going to do it as the lion. And when he returns, every knee will bow. I love what what Paul writes in in Philippians chapter two. He says, therefore, God exalted him, talking about Jesus, to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, when Jesus returns, You will bend the knee. You will acknowledge Jesus as Lord, whether you currently do or not. And you will bend the knee either in in praise and adoration of the king, or you will bend the knee in fear of the king. And you will either receive mercy and forgiveness, or you will receive judgment and justice. And it all depends on what your response has been to the lamb. What have you done with Jesus? Have you turned to him and looked to him for your salvation? Jesus, he's he's worthy because of who he is, and he is worthy because of what he's done. He's, He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your song. He's worthy of your worship. He is worthy of your life. And listen, he is coming back. And when he returns, you will bend the knee and you will declare that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. And so, what what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with the lamb that was slain? Have you turned to him for salvation? Have you stopped looking to, to yourself and your success and your achievements and your goodness? and look to what Jesus did on the cross, dying in your place for your sin and for your shame, standing as the mediator between you and a holy God so that you can know God and be with him forever. So Father, we we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that, that you are a different kind of king, that you are both the lion and the lamb, God, that you have taken on justice and, and, and judgment on our behalf, that you died on the cross in our place, taking on our sin and our shame. But Lord, we also thank you that you are you are the lion, that you are victorious, you are, you are reigning, that you are coming again. And at the name of Jesus, everyone will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord, you are King. And Lord, my prayer today is that you would be the king of our heart, the king of our, our life. or that we would turn to you for, for salvation, for, for those who are followers of you, God, but who have lost sight of how worthy you are of our life, of our praise, of our worship, God, that you would stir in our heart our affections, our desire for you. You would turn us back to you. God, that you would imprint on our mind, God, this vision, this picture of heaven, of God the Father, Jesus the Son, ruling and reigning forever. God, we can't wait for the day where we are with you and we sing your praises for all of eternity. Thank you for for being the lamb who was slain. And thank you for for being our king. Jesus, we love you. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.